0: Welcome to another episode of Life Stories by Congo Kid, where I share my experiences of growing up in the Democratic Republic of Congo in Central Africa. My hope is you find knowledge, entertainment, information, and insight of another culture and a new perspective of the Congolese people and Africa. Robert S. Thornbloom lived from March 15, 1938 to June 3, 2020. In those 82 years, he lived a most incredible life impacting thousands of people and his legacy and life's work continues on. He was an engineer. He was a leader. He was a servant and he was and remains a legend. So who was this man? Bob was born at Karawa in the Belgian Congo to missionary parents. He learned Ngbaka, a local tribal language, before he learned English, and that language profoundly impacted his work and relationships for the better throughout his life. His Congolese friends called him Bobby, and the name stuck. He grew up helping his dad, a doctor and pastor, and his mom, a nurse, during his teenage years. Then in high school, he helped fix trucks and anything else that was broken. He came to the US for college and got a degree in mechanical engineering. He married Jan in 1960 and returned to Congo to run the technical and mechanical aspects of a mission station with schools, homes, and a hospital. He wanted to support the work of the doctors, nurses, pastors, and teachers so they could do their jobs and focus versus having to make repairs on a vehicle after a long day in surgery, for example, in Part One of the Life of Bob Thornbloom, we heard stories from Paul Noran, who grew up around Bob, and then later was a coworker alongside Bob for many years in Africa. We also heard from Timothy Mambo, a Congolese who was trained by Bob and his wife Jan to run the entire technological and mechanical services department for over a decade. As a recap of Episode One, there are a few achievements that established his legacy in Congo. First was Moody. This was a spring about two miles from the Carawa Mission Station, where Bob figured out how to pump water with a water wheel to provide clean water to the community. His next major accomplishment was a Hadgery Electric Dam to provide 24 hours electricity. This was over 15 years in the making, from his original vision, to engineering, to fundraising, to construction, to ultimately get the Zulu River harnessed, thus providing Carrawa's homes, schools, and hospital with round-the-clock electricity. Thirdly, he helped import and train operators of portable sawmills. These were able to be carried into the forest, right to the tree that had been felled, and could cut lumber on the spot. These sawmills provided lumber for the entire region. And fourthly, he helped with hydroelectric mills, This allowed corn, manioc, or other grains to be ground by machine versus by hand, taking work that took hours and making it minutes. Many of these machines are still in operation. So no doubt, Bob's technological legacy is incredible. Water, electricity, lumber, and food prep, all key items for improving life in the heart of Africa. And these accomplishments will continue to help people for many years to come but there was so much more to Bob than his technological genius and execution. In today's episode, part two, we are here to further explore what made Bob tick, to understand why he was so great and what made him a legend and what made him special and what made him such an impact on people besides these amazing mechanical feats. In part one, we heard about Bob through the eyes of a child who later came to be a contemporary, working alongside Bob for many years in Congo. Paul Norrin shared some great stories and perspectives of Bob that often were overshadowed by his technological accomplishments. Timothy Mambo, a Congolese that was trained by Bob and took over most of his work offered a most unique perspective through his eyes. Since Bob was considered a member of the local Mbaka tribe, certain expectations were placed on him and Bob was viewed differently than the other Americans working in Congo. And Timothy Mambo brought this to light with his stories and experiences. But the fourth lens, which we might look to further understand Bob and what made him special, will be from someone in his family. Bob and Jan had a lovely family. They raised a son and two daughters. Thus, I've asked Mark Thornbloom, a highly respected solar engineer in Florida and Bob's oldest child, to share from his perspective how it was to live in the same house as Bobby.
1: In thinking back on this, I... Really didn't see, it was not unusual to me. It's just what it was, what it was. And I didn't really have, I don't recall having too much of a problem with dad being called away to things. Um, I think that might've been more of a issue for my mom. You know, if I was at my choir concerts uh, at the end of the year, dad would often be up at the garage fixing people, missionaries trucks that had come in and would miss my choir concerts or, you know, other events like that but that was part of life and he would you know he would be often going off to to fix booty because it broke in the middle of the night or something like that that was normal it was just part of my life and i really didn't know anything else different and in retrospect you know as i grew up and got older then i started realizing not everybody has this kind of an issue you know has this kind of a situation but it was not it was not a bad thing in my opinion I, i did not negatively impact me.
0: Bob always helped people in need. At that time, this is what dad did. And dad took it to another
1: level, I think, you know, just in terms of if people asked for help, he would, he would provide it. There are quite a few examples of this. And I think the, the BEMBA example is probably the most obvious in terms of benefit. But there are many others where he actually used his mobile unit to go out and pull transport trucks out of the river. Transport trucks and that had gone onto a ferry in, in one particular case and didn't have brakes and so had rolled off into the river. So he would go out and uh, spend several days pulling this truck out of the river because if he doesn't, then that merchant has basically gone bankrupt. Also, just. on the other end of of the spectrum, another, not so much a compulsion to help, but this passion for helping was demonstrated when they were debating whether or not to go to Goma and uh, help with the world relief in the uh, unaccompanied minors, which is a, a euphemism for orphans. That was something that was totally out of his wheelhouse, but he and Mom really felt God's calling to do that. And I think that is because they saw the need and they saw that they could help and had to do it. It's, it's because it is who they are.
0: You've heard mention of the Zulu project, which was a river with a small six foot waterfalls about seven miles from the Karawa Mission Station. Bob had the idea to harness the power of the water to provide electricity. It meant taking on a multi million dollar project, engaging engineers to assist with design and to secure the funding from various sources. No small feat back in the 1970s. Mark shares more about the project.
1: So Zulu Falls had been in dad's conscience since he was a kid. He had known about it. It's only 11 kilometers from Caroway Station where he grew up. And even as a kid in the the 50s and 60s, well in the 50s, he knew about it, would go out there and swimming. I'm not sure exactly when the idea that these falls could actually be translated into a a hydroelectric site when that idea first started germinating in his mind. But I do know that in the 70s he really started pursuing it seriously, going through and actually walking through the rainforest and slogging through the water in the upstream of of the falls to, to try and map out the lay of the land there. Then in late 70s he started actually doing the building and then we were able to actually commission it and dedicate it in 1984. So you've got at least a decade and a half of before actually realizing electricity power coming from that original idea.
0: Another awesome infrastructure accomplishment was a water wheel pump called Booty, which provide clean water to the homes, schools, and hospital. In 1966 the water pump came online pumping water 24-7 into a large cistern perched atop a hill to gravity feed to the community.
1: Water for the missionaries either got onto the missionaries' table through a cistern that was rain-fed from, with rainwater, pumped up by hand into, into barrels, or was delivered by Congolese mamas who would carry it up on their heads in 15- and 20-gallon sannies, which are large pans, and deliver it to the missionaries, um, or sell it to the missionaries, in the same way that they would bring water to their own homes in, in the village. So, as a kid, Dad knew about Booty, and he would go swimming there with his buddies. I'm not sure exactly when the idea of the water wheel powering the pump to run the water up was. He had only read about water wheels in books, and even only a few books, and he conceived of that idea and was able to to secure about $300 grant, I believe it was, from Mr. Irving Young, who he had worked with as a machinist on a large industrial contract in, in Wisconsin a few years before. Dad built the water wheel from scratch. He used a truck differential and ran it backwards to step up the 17 and 18 RPM water wheel up to about 300 RPM to run the pump, and then pump that up 150 feet to 200 feet head up to the top of the hill above the mission which he had never done anything like that before, and there was nothing like that that had been done in the region.
0: Timothy referenced Fiasco Engineering, which was a fun name or brand the Technical Services Department gave itself.
1: Well, I think that the the concept of Fiasco Engineering was more among the the missionaries and more among the the short-termers that came out and saw how we had to kind of get a little bit scrappy about trying to fix things. Rather than the, the Congolese staff and Congolese workers, this was just how, this was normal way of doing things. This is normal life. This is normal how Bobby does stuff. He fixes stuff. And, um, um, and Doug Thorpe recounted, you know, the dynamite caps made from rifle shells that we used to blow up the, dy- the dynamite at uh, Zulu. And the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang forest buggy that we built from, a, he, he built from uh, half a dozen different brands of trucks to haul lumber through the, through the forest. He also used a, a phonograph needle and uh, from Don Erickson and uh, used that to measure vibration and temperature on the Osberger turbine. And there's you know, stories of using a belt to fix a, a pump on a motorboat. These were all not necessarily fun, but these were what we would call in, in at home, débris. We were, they were debris we're, we're winging it. And these were what we did to get it done. I don't know that Dad really appreciated the, the idea of fiasco engineering at the onset I'm I know that mom didn't really think too highly of the of the whole joking about it but later in later on he started coming around and actually enjoying the, the fun with you know hey let's you know let's see, try this and see what ha- how that happens and what happens and uh, see if that works and um, so later on in his career then he came around a little bit and enjoyed the concept of having fun with it, you know, hey, let's, let's try this and uh, see what works, see if it, see what happens, and was a little bit more relaxed with it. When he started realizing that not everybody
0: does things this way. For him, this is just how we do things. As a son, Mark saw his dad's impact on the mission work and on the community when i look back on dad's
1: work and how that impacted the the larger missional objectives and priorities of the of the covenant church and free church and the congolese equivalents the sister churches in congo i think it's probably best described in the statement that he made in 1963 when they were called and were commissioned um, and that is to support the missional objectives of the American covenant and the, and then later the Congolese covenant church using his skills and technology. And and then of course, later on in also in sustainable village-based development. So he was not a pastor. He was not an evangelist. He was not a doctor. He was a technologist. He was an inventor. He was a, he could debris, he could wing it. And that was, those were his skills. He was a communicator. And those were his skills. Those were the, five talents, the two talents that that God gave him. So dad saw his job as facilitating the pastors and the evangelists, um, and even the doctors and other technologists that were there because Christ called them to work with the people of the Congo. So the impact that dad had on the Congolese is completely different than any of the other Americans that were out there, even the, the missionaries, the career missionaries that were out there for decades and decades, that had huge influence and impact on the Congolese and the, con- the church in Congo. And this is mainly because dad was a Mwana Namboka. He's from Baka. He is from that. He, that's where he was born and raised. So He came to the U.S. to get a, a degree and a wife. and He got both of those, and he went back and served, answered his calling to serve the people of Ibangi. And that was his passion and his calling, and he, he answered that. People point to the physical structures that are associated with his name, you know, Zulu and Budi and Duabili, sawmills, microhydros, the water and lights for, for the hospitals, the airstrips that he built. But there are so many men and also a few women who see him as a mentor and a counselor who, who credit his advice and his guidance for making them what they are today. I've been hearing stories that I've never heard before as a result that since he died. Um, people giving me their testimonies about him. And today his name is known throughout the Ubangi, for better or for worse, and for things not necessarily as, that he was involved with. I mean, for the un- younger generation, he's something of a myth. And for the older generation, he's remembered fondly as, you know, a local boy done good, you know, or a one in a boca, you know, a child of the village. And as a true native from Baca, with an American passport, which is probably the most unique aspect because he is definitely an American with Swedish blood, red hair, and and white skin that did not take well to the the Congolese son. So dad impacted the Congolese in many, many ways, and many of them quite unique. He is unique in his story from even from other career missionaries that had huge impact, like your own father, Jeff, and and Dr. Raj, and, and Dr. Titus Johnson, and some of these huge names that we know. He, he's unique even with, within that circle. Even Paul Noren, he's, a, he's slightly different than Paul. And there's that aspect of Pim being fully and totally committed to what God called Dad to do, and that is to serve the people of the Ubangi. That's the reason for Dad's existence. There is no other reason.
0: After Bob and Jan left the field in 1996, they continued to work on projects, Mark was fortunate to share the passion for engineering and the Congolese people and to help create sustainable systems alongside his dad.
1: 2006, he and I worked together on a uh, water pump, a solar-powered water pump for a local hospital. He had actually built a water wheel for that pump in the 70s, and uh, we were going to try and see if we could actually get a solar pump to work on that job.
0: But we mustn't forget that Bob had a partner, his wife Jan. Jan was an amazing woman in her own right, often appearing in Bob's shadow, but in reality was his partner, his pillar, his teammate, in all the work that was being done in Congo. Jan was a teacher, and I was honored to have had her for two years learning Lingala, grammar and vocabulary in junior high.
1: My mom was not really a support role with dad. She was not the behind every great man, there's a woman supporting him. That was not their situation. They were a true team. They worked very, very closely together. So she wasn't a supporter as much as she was a partner, a ministry partner, a life partner, a soul partner, and a business partner, you know, the ministry partner. So Dad was definitely the idea guy. He came up with these ideas. He was the guy that spoke Baca. He was the guy that get figured out these things. Um, and he had the technology. But pretty much every idea that he had would not have come to fruition if it had not been for mom figuring out how to do it. You know, How do we get these workers paid on time? How do we make sure that we don't go over budget? How do we make sure to um, protect our stuff and uh, from getting it stolen? You know, we need to put it in a Wapango. We can't just assume that people are, are not going to steal it, those kinds of things. So a lot of the large donors would send funds contingent on proper reporting. So mom was the one that did that proper reporting and make sure that dad's ideas were able to actually get implemented and succeed. So in 1986, I was working for the summer in Paris and the covenant decided after 25 years to send mom and dad to French school. And so they were sent to French school for the summer up in Northern France, right by the Belgian border. And I recall one time going up and visiting them on a weekend and seeing how they actually worked. And it, it, and one of the stories that came out of that visit is a classic example of how mom and dad functioned as a team. So, for example, the French teacher would be in class, he would say, Class, how do you say, I go to the store? And dad says, Oh, I know that. Uh, je vais au magasin. And, uh, Mom is still trying to think of, okay, um, go, I had to go, I go, you go, je vais, tu vas, I, I, I don't know, and she was trying to translate, she was trying to, so mom would be stuck on trying to find the correct conjugation of to go, but dad in, immediately knew exactly what to say. Then the French professor would say, okay, Bob, come and write it on the board. And dad would look at mom and mom would walk up then. And now knowing what the phrase was, would write it up on the board in perfect penmanship with perfect grammar and correct spelling. And the two of them then worked together that in that kind of a way where dad had the idea, but
0: really needed mom to really seal the deal. So now you've seen Bob through four sets of eyes. First from Paul Noren as a child, looking up to Bob, then becoming his peer and colleague, working together as adults. Then we heard from Timothy Mambo, a Congolese that also worked with and for Bob for many years. And finally from Mark, his son, who grew up in the same house and then became a partner in projects well into adulthood. Bob was truly an amazing man. There's an expression in Nbaka,
1: which
0: translated, Is there anything bad which Bobby has done for the inhabitants of Karawa? This was said at his funeral and has been said for many years because of Bob's love and compassion for the Congolese people. Bob and Jan returned to the US in 1996 due to the Civil War and continued to assist in the work from afar. They retired from the covenant mission in 2007. Yet in retirement, he continued to oversee projects, returning to Congo periodically to assist in the work And to stay involved with his protégés and the people he loves so much. Bob and Jan were honored in 2007 for their years of service when they retired. I've asked Twyla Thornbloom Becker, Bob and Jan's youngest daughter, to quote what Jan said to the attenders of their retirement party. Every person has been given one life to make a difference in the world. One must choose carefully to be sure it will be significant. If you are fortunate, You can make this difference where your dreams exist and your heart lives. Bob and Jan made significant differences in innumerable lives, and they were fortunate to do so in Congo, pursuing their dreams and also doing so in a place dear to their hearts. Their impact was incalculable, and their legacy continues both in the infrastructure they built and in the lives they changed. Robert S. Thornblum Growing up, Many of us called him Uncle Bob. Others called him Bob T. And his Congolese brothers and sisters called him Bobby. What a great man and what an incredible life lived. <tokutana> li susu, Bobby. Translated, Bob, we will meet again. So that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it and will join me again. Other episodes and blog articles on a variety of topics can be found at CongoKid.net. In addition, life stories by Congo Kid Podcasts can be found on Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. I'm Jeff Eels, aka Congo Kid, your humble host. Until next time, I send you off with a farewell in Lingala. Baninga Nangai, Tikalamalamu. My friends, stay well.